0: What's going on? Welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeaKeek. You made it to the Memorial Day weekend. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Jim Eikanoff our Pelicans.com. Hope this finds you well as we wrap up week number one of player recaps. Today's player is Eric Bledsoe. Big thanks to Todd Graffinini for helping us with Steven Adams on Thursday. Of course, you heard from Christian Clark on Wednesday with Lonzo Ball. Andrew Lopez with Zion Williamson on Tuesday. And we began with Brandon Ingram on Monday from Will Guillory of the athletic. Jim, let's get right into it as far as Eric Bledsoe is concerned. um, Kind of when we touched on Lonzo, a little bit of an up and down season for him as far as productivity. But I first want to begin with, I think the biggest takeaway from him is he led the team in minutes, which goes to show you as far as availability is concerned, Eric Bledsoe was one of the healthiest guys on the team this year.
1: He definitely was. It seemed like the only minor issue he had was he had kind of an eye irritation thing that Caused him to um, to miss a game early in the season, and then he played through it. Seemed like he had like one eye in in, in usage for one of the games in L. A. and still was on the floor. So, yeah, there's no doubt that he was um, able to be very durable and to play the most total minutes on the roster. It was a, it was a by by a slim margin, but um, he played a slightly more than Brandon Ingram and a, a decent amount more than Zion Williamson. So. He was uh, on the floor more than anyone this season, which I definitely think was was surprising. When
0: we heard from him in the exit interviews last Monday, uh, I think the thing that stuck out with me, and we talked about this, is he graded himself as a C minus this year. And for me, that's how I got my degree from Harvard is getting by with C's. Um, <laughs> but C minus for some um, may not be really good. Uh, how would you? What, what was your reaction when you when you talked about when you heard him? Talk about the fact that he gave himself a C minus.
1: Yeah, it was very honest, and I I think pretty rare too because I mean, we all understand this is the ever the player's livelihood. This is how they make their money. This is a business, so it's very unusual to hear a player be that blunt about the way that they played. They usually want to leave that leave criticism to others. Is in terms of they don't want to add fuel to what other people are saying. So, um, but I can respect that the fact that he was very um. Upfront about it, saying that he was disappointed with the way that he played, and he was. He also mentioned, you know, team-wise, it wasn't what the what the Pelicans were looking for. They definitely went into the season thinking that they were going to be in the top ten in the conference. So, um, definitely something that uh, you, you give him credit for. That I mean, he's a veteran too. I think he probably understands. And this is something that he mentioned that there's a lot of challenges that happen in the NBA, and unfortunately, that was something that he dealt with throughout the season of just a lot of adjustments and a lot of things that didn't go the way the Pelicans were hoping for.
0: Now, this is the time for you to admit what your GPA was in college. If you want to give that, I mean, unless you're embarrassed by what it was.
1: See, I don't have a Harvard degree like you do, Right. but you know, I just have a mere like Princeton degree. I I also have a degree from Columbia as well. So, you know, as a New York state guy, I figured while I'm there, I might as well get, get a couple different, ivy league degrees and get one from uh, one downstate from where i grew up so um i'm not going to reveal my gpa but um but i i think the part that you said about your harvard degree and your c minus i think one of those is probably true but well i think we'll one of them is probably not true but we'll leave that to the audience to decide which one is is a a falsehood
0: you're right i did not get a c minus at harvard that was not (laughs) my average it was quite lower than that actually but you know I had that poster in my room that said C's get degrees. And that was my motivation, you know, to at least walk out of Harvard university of the South tech state university with, with a degree.
1: You know, I, I will say that from my dorm room, I could see it. This is not, this is actually very hundred percent true from my dorm room. I could see an Ivy league school because I went to Ithaca college and across the uh, hill in the same city was Cornell. So some of those vibes, I think, emanated towards me so that that was my my big ivy league experience
0: all right well we'll take that i guess we can both readily admit that we don't want to admit our gpa right now or uh i guess i will come clean and say i did not go to harvard it was georgia Southern university which a lot of people <laughs> consider the harvard of the south anyways exactly So i really wasn't lying the entire time just right a little bit
1: right you you did i know people can't see this on the podcast but you did use harvard in quotes when you said <laughs> you said that so with I,
0: I appreciate you clarifying that. You're absolutely <laughs> right, though. Um, well, for Eric Bledsoe, too, again, we talked about the inconsistencies a little bit with him um, and kind of how much the team relied on the backcourt of, of him and Ball um, if the team was going to walk out of an arena with a victory. Um, but in May, and I don't know if this was maybe because of his role changing a little bit based on injuries, but from May 1st to May 16th, he... Scored over ten plus points in each game. He had a game against Charlotte, twenty-four points and eleven assists. You just saw, I thought, a different side of Eric Bledsoe to end the season, which I thought was very encouraging.
1: Yeah, it was interesting that to me, the Eric Bledsoe that played the last couple weeks of the season was a lot more reminiscent of the guy I remember playing for Phoenix a bunch of a few years back. Before he spent time in Milwaukee, where he was kind of the, you know, the second or third option. When he was in Phoenix, I tell people this story once in a while. I remember a couple times sitting kind of courtside there. They give media members extraordinarily good seats. Hopefully, it'll still be that way when we come back to normal. But um, I remember seeing him up close playing against Drew Holiday, and he had some huge games against Drew, as people know, is one, who is one of the best defenders in the league. I always felt like Bledsoe was motivated against Holiday because he kind of, and I'm totally assuming this and speculating this, but. I think Bledsoe viewed Holiday as a guy that got more credit and more attention than than Bledsoe did. And at that stage of their career, this is going back five, six, seven years, they were pretty even as far as you know what kind of stuff that they did on the court and how good a player they were, especially offensively. So, what he when he was able to go back to being one of the primary guys in the offense this season, in the last month of the year, last couple of weeks, it seemed like he was able to to get into a groove more and be more consistent offensively. It did seem like in the beginning of the season, I think people re- probably remember this pretty vividly when the season started in late December, that first couple weeks of the season, it seemed like he was thinking a lot. He was kind of going through like, okay, how much do I shoot here? How much, how aggressive should I be? And given that the Pelicans have two of the best scores in the league with, with Brandon Ingram and Zion um, he kind of had to feel his way through you know, where exactly is my role? What exactly is my role here and how do I best benefit the team? And obviously he's playing off the ball a ton. Um, he played off the ball a good amount. And obviously Milwaukee too, with Giannis kind of running everything, but it just seemed like he wasn't comfortable. And I think he said that a couple times at the beginning of the season too, that he was, he was trying to see, okay, how do I not step on toes? How, you don't want, he, he even said um, specifically, I think a couple times, I don't want to be the guy who comes in here and starts taking every shot and starts disrupting the offense. So I I think that was a big challenge for him just from a mental standpoint of, of trying to, to decide like, how do I, how do I um, adapt to this offense and how do I help the team the most? He's also a lot better on the ball than off the ball. He's not a great spot up shooter. As a lot of people know, that's not his forte when he was in Phoenix, he was attacking all the time and getting into the paint but you can't really do that as much when you're playing with the scores that he's playing with here. So that was definitely a big adjustment as far as more of his offense is coming from. He's standing in the corner or he's standing in the wing waiting for the ball to come to him as opposed to being able to just get by his defender and drive all the time. I guess the piggyback uh, off that real quickly is the
0: fact that he came from Milwaukee and you talk about a new role. I mean, it's also a completely different team and a completely different mindset. Milwaukee it was on the up-and-coming. You saw them in the playoffs and are up 2-0 to Miami. It's a team that has championship aspirations early or right now, whereas the mm-hmm. Pelicans are really not on the same timeline uh, as, as the Milwaukee Bucks. And I feel like that could also alter uh, someone's role that has been in the playoff hunt, has been in the NBA Finals hunt for a few years, and goes to a team that you know hopes to make the playoffs, but that wasn't necessarily a guarantee with the score.
1: Yeah, he, he compared this season with New Orleans to his first season with Phoenix. And I had forgotten about this until I looked it up. The first year he was in Phoenix, um, they were like the big, one of the biggest surprise teams in the league. They won 48 games. Somehow they didn't make the playoffs that year, which is crazy to think. But that we know we all know how good the Western Conference is, that they just had a bad draw that year where they won that many games and still, still didn't get in. But I, I think for him it was a similar situation to where it was a team that had a lot to prove Unfortunately, the, as we know, the results weren't the same as his first year in Phoenix, where they were able to be, you know, a team that kind of came out of nowhere and did so much better than everyone, everyone expected.
0: All right. As we wrap up here, uh, talking about Eric Bledsoe on the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast, as you know, with some of these, we also like to talk about some current events um, involving the NBA as that they're in the, the thick of the NBA playoffs right now. And one, the playoffs have been outstanding so far. Um, on both sides with some big games um, in, in, two, in some big series. But also what came out earlier this week is, is potentially Adam Silver in the NBA exploring a midseason tournament. I know this came up a couple years ago, and I know there was some strong feedback on that as far as rest and whether players want to do it and how do you incentivize these guys. So, Jim, I'm going to let the creative mind and yourself uh, kind of figure out this tournament, because I know you've kind of had some thoughts on what may – lead to a successful midseason tournament. So um and I'll I'll share with you mine afterwards, but what are your thoughts on potentially uh a midseason tournament?
1: What would that look like in your eyes? I, I think one of the reasons why the midseason tournament kind of got put on the back burner obviously was because of the pandemic. I think there were other bigger issues that the NBA had to kind of address first, obviously before they kind of delved back into that. So I think that's part of why the timing for that discussion came back recently. Um but my my idea kind of revolves around a few concepts of things that I want to see improve in the NBA. One of them is I want to see rivalries come back. And so the 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 main gist of my idea, and this is free of charge. This is this is not trademarked or copyrighted. So take notes Adam Silver. If anyone <laughs> wants to take this, I guess it's free, free reign and they have, you know, the, the ability to do so. But my idea is based on Um, conference tournaments from college basketball. Um, As a kid, I watched the Big East tournament and I thought it was amazing. It was something that everyone looked forward to. I do think that college basketball conference tournaments have dropped a little bit in popularity. That's a different discussion, but I do like the idea of the way that they're formatted. And so my idea is to, I know people have talked about that the midseason tournament might be just eight teams that play three rounds, single elimination, and then whoever wins all three rounds wins it. But I think it's impossible to – I think one of the problems with that idea is that you're going to have 22 teams that are sitting on the sideline and being like, well, what about us? So my, my idea is to take the six divisions in the NBA. They all each have their own separate midseason tournament. It's not going to be – there might be a way to take the the six division winners and put pit them against each other afterwards, but – um, my, my main thing is I would like to see the Pelicans, for example, they play against the other four teams in their division kind of pool play. Whoever has the best record wins it. If, if you go four and O, oh, you automatically win it because um, that's how the math works. If there might be cases where um, there's a couple teams that are tied th- at three and one, and w- we'd have to figure out a way to like break the tie. It might be point differential stuff like that. Um, but the biggest To me, the biggest uh, thing that it would address is the rivalry part of it. I feel like divisions have been pushed to the side so much in the NBA that I've heard people who do podcasts or follow the NBA very closely who say, I don't even know who's in the divisions. Like someone who covers Memphis is like, is Oklahoma City in our division? I don't even know. So I I see that as a a big negative. I don't see how that that has been a positive at all to take away the significance of the divisions. I realize a a big reason for that is because they wanted to improve the fairness. People didn't like how, when the regular season ended, there was a team with a higher seed just because they won their division, especially with the schedule being so even where it's not like there's a big difference between who the Pelicans play and who, for example, Phoenix plays, even though they're in different divisions. So I get that part of it, but I want to go back to where we have more rivalries in the NBA and my idea also is that every 5 every 5 years you host the comp, your your division midseason tournament so it would rotate from you know Houston to Memphis to New Orleans to San Antonio to Dallas so every 5 years we would get a chance to host it and it would be kind of that cool conference tournament environment hopefully i'm sure that there's some drawbacks with that and i would also be open to the idea of that all of the teams get to host two games and go on the road for two games. But I think another cool part of my idea is it would also address the travel. We're trying to reduce the travel. So I think there's a way that you can play more division games and incorporate a mid-season tournament where you're just playing against your rivals and that would kind of kill uh, two birds with one stone. So that's, that's my plan. And, and uh, you can uh, go from there, what your thoughts are. You know, I kind of had somewhat of a similar plan, but I'm going to take it a step further.
0: One, um, would those games count in the regular season standings or would that be counted as exhibition games?
1: Definitely they would count in the standings. And I think I there's a way that you could you could feed in. Maybe you still play four uh, quote-unquote normal head-to-head games against teams in your division the way we us- always do. But maybe you add this is just a fifth game that you play against them, so you're playing against your division rivals more.
0: Okay, Uh, I like your I'm going to take it one step further and kind of go World Cup style and make it each division has pool play. And I don't know how many games if you want to play every team once and go from there. That's great. So Mm -hmm. then the winner of each pool play would advance. So then you have six teams that are in the final six, the top two teams overall based on record and then using tiebreakers as points scored or points allowed would have buys. Then the other two divisions in those conferences would play each other for a chance in the final four. And then you have a Western conference championship an Eastern conference championship. Those two teams would meet in the finals and have a, whether it's, you know, in the WNBA, they're working on a, or they have a commissioner's cup this season. And I don't really know exactly the format of it, but you can name it some kind of way. I'm sure you can add a sponsor, whether it's a Taco Bell cup or state farm cup, you know, there's plenty of sponsors going around with the NBA and, and make it incentivized with, you know, cash prize for the winning team. Cause I know I think that would incentivize some teams as far as playing it is concerned. Um, But then that's kind of part of another thing each year. Like this team was the commissioner's cup winner in 2020. It's something that you can be proud of teams, you know, can have that as another way to, you know, engage a fan base, as far as winning sure. that thing is concerned. And also that could help towards the standing as well. I'm not sure how that would work as far as teams playing more games than others, how that would count towards the standing. So maybe there's a, and a more incentive. If you make it out of your division, you know, there could be something added. I'm not sure whether you may one team is guaranteed home court. I mean, again, this could be, there's tons of options to go with that, but I think a sure. world cup style would be kind of cool. Cause you do get that division rivalry still in place and maybe it, engage some more bands with your division, but also you're adding more with the teams that you've been facing in the Western Conference or battling with. And it's also a good test in the middle of the season to see where you stack up heading into the second part
1: of the season is where your team's at. You know, like you said, there's a million different options. There's probably so many different methods and ways that you could come up with and people that would actually not, not maybe not us, but people that could spend a lot of time over a, a long stretch of weeks months thinking of the best way to do this. But I think the one thing that most people can agree on is that the idea behind it, I think comes from a very good place. And that is to make the regular season more competitive. I feel like we want to get away from the idea that teams are treating some of the regular season games as not, not that important. So the more things that you can add to make it more of a competitive thing, I think the better also one other quick thing I would add in There's a lot of skepticism, I think, negative initial reaction to the midseason tournament. And I'll be totally honest with you. I felt the same way when I first heard about it, that it wasn't really something that excited me that much. But think about the play-in tournament in terms of the initial negative reaction from a lot of corners. Actually, there's still some, but um, how well that worked out, I think, across the board. I think other than the people that have a specific reason to be biased against it, I think it was almost a hundred percent approval as far as people um, liking the way that it turned out this year and just the positive effect it had on the season. So I think you could, you could end up with the same thing or something similar with the midseason tournament and everyone will be happy with it at the end of the day.
0: All right. So there we have it for the last podcast of the week. As we recap Eric Bledsoe here on the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. A big thanks to everyone that tuned in this week. Big thanks to all our guests, including Andrew Lopez, Will Guillory, Christian Clark, and Todd Graffanini. Until next week, we'll have a show Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Hope you enjoy Memorial Day weekend. And until then, I'm Daniel Sanderson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by C.